Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Gotta Talk, where it's all about real talk on big topics. We are officially kicking off season three, which is crazy to me. Um, because we really never took a week off. <laughs> I kept saying in the summertime we would uh, take a break from from putting out content, but we had some amazing guests. So if you've been here through the summer, thank you for sticking around. If you're coming back for the official launch, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. So I am going to put this disclaimer in the beginning because I know I have a lot of news followers and people who are really into a you know a deep dive into detail, and I want to put this out there before we bring on today's guest. This is not supposed to be medical advice. This guest is someone that I am passionate about and the information that he puts out there, I personally really, really um, believe in and subscribe to. But as always, it's best to talk to your own doctor and your own medical provider when it comes to matters relating to your health. Do you like that? Do you like how I just whipped out that little disclaimer? (laughs) Um, But I'm really excited about today's guest. So his name is Matt Maruka. He is the founder of Raw Optics, and he is what he calls himself a citizen scientist. He's a photobiology researcher. And basically, he is the individual who made me reconsider my obsessive relationship with SPF. If you've been sticking around long enough on We Gotta Talk, you know that um, skincare and beauty is a big vertical that we cover. And almost every person that we bring on who's an expert in that area really beats the drum of SPF, protecting yourself from the sun. And when I heard Matt being interviewed on Heal Thyself, which is a podcast by Dr. G, Dr. Gonzalez, I was really thrown for a loop in the best way possible. So today we're going to talk about the benefits of exposure to natural light, to sunlight, the things that we might be getting wrong when it comes to avoiding the sun and what we can do to optimize our health. So without further ado, let's welcome Matt. Hey, Matt. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I loved your chat with Dr. G. And, you know, sometimes you hear guests and you're like, okay, I got to swipe them. I feel bad because, you know, it feels a little like I'm stealing someone else's guest. But really, that interview changed a lot for me. I'm so, so glad it did. <laughs> I I love Dr. Christian. He's amazing. And I love how open-minded he is to new ideas. And I also really have to say I appreciate this sort of disclaimer you put out. Uh, I more and more consider myself like a journalist myself because, you know, journalists are just people who are genuinely interested in seeking the truth, hopefully the Mm -hmm. highest truth and uh, not some personalized version of the truth. And that's what I I understand journalism was at its origin and and ought to be if it's not really maintaining that, uh, you know, focus. That's sort of a different thing if you look at political media. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Everything I'm sharing is just something I've come across through my own research. I have studied pretty extensively into some of the subjects we'll talk about. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. It's so great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you particularly focus your research on and your your expertise or qualifications. And then we're going to dive in because um, there's really a lot to get to. So tell us first about your background and, and your, you know, what you've studied. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So my background is in, it's funny, I would say humanity and life. I, as far as qualifications and so on, I have a high school degree and that is it. I didn't even go to college because I started my own business, which just had its five-year birthday 
uh, on Saturday, which is to me uh, unbelievable. Almost I can't I can't fathom it. But that's cool because most companies don't succeed for six months or don't even get started in the first place. Uh, to have hit, hit five years and be very successful throughout that time is I've learned a, a big accomplishment in and of itself. Now, as far as what I research and what I study. I've always followed sort of my own personal necessity and interest. And so when I was a kid, I had some challenges with health, mainly gut issues, allergies, pollen allergies, and, and so forth, seasonal allergies, and headaches. And I would just regularly experience this discomfortable state, this uncomfortable state uh, that was pretty miserable. And yet, I, I recall my childhood and I had mostly a, a nice childhood, but there were definitely those periods where I was struggling tremendously. And I accepted all of that, that this is a genetic phenomenon that I should just accept that I can't really do anything about that. And, and that's it. However, at one point uh, after the Western drugs failed, you know, we took, I took all the, the pediatrician, I joke truthfully, the pediatrician prescribed me Advil, the allergist prescribed me Claritin and Zyrtec and so forth. They had to even make like special, like super powered version antihistamine for, for me due to my symptom severity. And then the gastro doc pre, uh, prescribed to me Tums antacid medication and none of them did anything, uh, of course, needless to say. And none of them ever asked, you know, maybe why are you sick in the first place? I just reflected on that a couple of years ago. Like none, none of, and this was when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, just going to high school and middle school and so forth. Anyway, I had no choice but to start looking for things a little bit more myself. Uh, it was when I started getting really bad breakouts of acne, actually, that I started looking into actual overall health. I was reading about acne. I was reading about skin and, and gut health kind of came into the mix. And then all of a sudden I learned about this diet, the paleo diet, this kind of whole 30 movement. And then I led to the paleo diet. And it was this idea of eating more natural foods in your life and cutting out all the modern refined foods. And it made so much sense to me. I was so sold on this idea that like food and modern processed foods are the cause of modern diseases. I no longer believe this as I did then, I do to a certain degree, but not as as firmly as I did then. Uh, and there's we can we'll get into why. But they started talking about these experts started speaking about that I could potentially heal all these other issues that I was facing in addition to cleaning up my skin. And so that was pretty amazing to me that I might be able to heal allergies, gut issues, and headaches. So I started reading more and. I started to feel better when I cut out processed foods for sure. And so I became convinced that this was the thing, the it for sure mm -hmm. that I was looking for. Uh, and after some time, I didn't really feel the progress I was hoping to continue to feel or that I had felt in the beginning. So yet again, I just continued reading. And at some point I, I went from you know standard diet to a stricter and a stricter and a stricter diet. And I actually felt worse the more I restricted myself. I became obsessive as many people in the diet world are orthorexic, you know, obsessed about every single detail and to the point where it was actually more harmful than good for sure. Although I didn't recognize that till much, much later. And with the same level of obsession, I began to look at other things. I came across a doctor who 
was talking all about the effects of light on biology and how this plays a really profound role. And I became really interested in light. And I started to think as I had with diet that this was the absolute main thing. And the story continues. There's actually more that goes deeper and I'm happy to answer really any questions you have, but light is where I started to, as far as let's say credentials or knowledge and research is where I just started to, as a, I've, I've heard the term citizen scientist. I've used it. I would say more just as an interested, curious person, uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess you could say a, a curious spirit. I just read everything I could books about light books, about bioelectromagnetism, energy and living cells, things that were recommended by these bloggers and doctors and researchers I was following and tying together all these different pieces that I, that I was learning about. And so ultimately that led to a significant improvement in my health beyond what was achievable with just food. And I'm tremendously grateful that I learned about the role that light has on health. But when I say the story continues to, to give you the full picture, where it led me was even dialing in my light diet, as I call it, of external light, of sunlight, of blocking harmful blue light, and so on. And I have these glasses I wear usually when I'm working on screens and so forth when I'm oh, indoors. Come on, I can put mine on too. Yeah, I have a, I have a big uh, open window view of the basically the town I'm currently staying in, and so it's like this huge door right here that I opened. So it's actually quite nice. I wouldn't usually wear these in the case of natural light, but for purpose of demonstration, a few minutes here, I will. Anyway, this continued to culminate to where I was, I was feeling better with, with light and significantly better than just food, right? Like it had a, a market impact and it taught me so much learning about light, but I was still struggling internally, mentally, uh, in particular, even though a lot of my physical ailments had almost entirely disappeared. And I was just still asking the question, like, I thought I figured it out. I th it wasn't just about food. It was about light. But then it was clear it's not just about sunlight, getting more sunlight. Although, again, we, we'll get into the subject and, and the importance of light. But I started to learn more about this idea of inner light. And basically, with all the understanding I had gained about how the sun interacts with our cells, it opened up this much deeper question of if our cells are fundamentally light operated and light based, what it really means is that we are these sort of beings of light. Now, not in a woo woo spiritual sense necessarily, but in a very material biological sense, our cells operate based on light frequencies. And so it wasn't that big of a stretch then when I started learning about the idea of the sort of ancient process or practice of meditation that it, it made sense to me. It wasn't a big stretch. And I started going down this rabbit hole and learning that ultimately what I now believe to be the most impactful thing people can do to change their state, their health, and so forth is actually cultivation of what I call inner light, which is something along the lines of meditation and so forth. Anyway, I'm happy to get into that, but that's really a pretty fair background of, of me and, and the things I do. And I didn't mention, you mentioned it. I started a company called Raw Optics, now becoming raw in the process of becoming raw. Uh, and the reason I started this was to make these glasses, these blue light blocking glasses. And the reason for this is one of the things that I learned in the journey is that the sun sets our body's rhythm, right? But then when we're exposed to man-made light sources at night, whether it's screens, 
light bulbs, etc. These can disrupt our body's natural production of melatonin and our sleep. And even during the day, excess amounts of these lights can create damage in our eyes. They can create headaches and fatigue. So the simplest solution was glasses to block this. But the thing was, they were all unattractive. Or if they were stylish, they blocked the wrong wavelengths of light. They were clear lenses. And so let's let's kind of go from there. Yeah, as I wear my old man um, regular blue blocking computer shades, there's so much I want to dive into, Matt. First, I will say that it's my belief that people inspired by their own medical stories or things that have happened to them personally tend to have some of the biggest breakthroughs because I feel like you're so driven to solve what's going on with you that you end up figuring out some important things in the process. So I appreciate you taking us through what led you to study the impact of light, because I think that, um, like I said, who would have thought that your personal journey would, would inform so many other people? What do you think people get the most wrong when it comes to thinking about the sun? We talked before we got online. I'm in Florida and I have made a practice and have made it very public of slathering, not my body necessarily, but my face and sunscreen. And, you know, we go to the beach, we have our long rash guard suits as a family because I personally don't like to go too heavy on the sunscreens, the chemical sunscreens, but that's a different story. So I've made a practice of avoiding the light, but I heard you do this interview and it made me completely rethink things. Tell me how to strike a balance, especially in a state like Florida, where there is constant sunshine between how much to expose myself to healthily and how much to cover myself up. Yeah. Well, this is a great question. I appreciate you asking. So it's, it's really uh, relevant to my, my recent, uh, learnings, let's say I used to think based on the advice of some people I was following who are, let's say more like extreme in this field that I should go out and bathe myself in the sun for excessive amounts of hours, get really red or pink and just like the more sun, the better. And I did this for a while. And ultimately it didn't necessarily it didn't have the benefits, just like with the food obsession uh, that I had had that I had expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, again, there's many benefits to the sun. And, and throughout that time, I was doing podcasts still and sharing the benefits. And I, I believe that, you know, the core messages remain the same or very similar. However, there are definitely things that I would have to go, you know, modify. Everyone learns as they go. I think that's a natural good thing and progression. And one of the things I would modify definitely if I could go back and, and inform my younger self would be that you don't need insane excessive amounts of sun and more isn't always better, or at least more before burning isn't always better. There's never a recommendation to burn. It's always like get as much as you can shy of burning, uh, you know, and, and charge up your battery. And so let's just walk through this. So first and foremost, to answer your question, what do most people get wrong when it comes to the sun? So I think the first thing that people get wrong, if I can say this in this way, is a just lack of awareness about the sun and what it is. So as far as we know, and I'm very, very skeptical of a lot of things that are generally taught and, and commonly accepted because so many of them that I did believe have been proven wrong through further inquiry. But as far as we know, we are on this spherical rock flying through space around a big circular ball of fire 
called the sun. And there are eight or nine planets in this, let's say, solar system around this star. And the star is just one of billions in this galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions really infinite, supposedly, galaxies in this universe. And we don't need to get any further than that. <laughs> I think that's a sufficient starting place. But so the idea here in, in common science is that all life on Earth exists because of this ball of fire that we're spinning around. The reason being that if it weren't for the light of the sun, Earth would be frozen solid. There would be no liquid water on Earth if the sun were not shining. Hence, life could not exist. Therefore, the very conversation we're having, the very words we're speaking, the sort of givens in every single thing we do are predicated on the existence of the sun and its radiance upon the surface of the planet we call Earth. So I think the very first thing is just the awareness of what it is. It's like, it's like saying, you know, if you had to start somewhere with understanding a biological organism, a decent place to start would be where did it come from? It came from its mother. We can consider the sun like our mother. It is the giver of life for everything on earth. And another way to put it, the same point, <laughs> it would be, considering Sir Isaac Newton, who studied basically the natural world, much like I do. And he observed some peculiar things. He sort of is credited with the discovery of gravity, with the story of the apple falling on his head. But he also created the laws of classical physics, uh, one of which is that in order for anything to move, it requires a force. Well, if you look at me, I'm moving. You're moving in a sense. Even if you're still, there's trillions of things moving in your cells at all times. So that's a lot of motion going on compared to something like sand or dirt, for example, or even water. So the question then would be, well, where is all that energy coming from? If Sir Isaac Newton determined that energy or all motion requires a force, a force is energy, where's all that energy coming from? And yet again, the answer is the sun, the light energy from the sun, which through the process of photosynthesis is stored in the bonds of sugar, which is water split and combined with carbon dioxide from the air. The tree breathes in carbon dioxide and pulls up the water from the ground or from the rain, splits the water, breathes in the carbon dioxide, binds the water with the carbon from the air or the, the, the broken off part of the water. And that energy from the sun is stored in those bonds. And then we might eat a plant or an animal might eat the plant and store that in its fat. And then we'll eat the animal. And then we take that sun energy, but essentially you get the point. Mm. All of the energy for our conversation is coming from the sun, all of the energy for all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of the historical development of all of our words, words, all of the production of our houses, most of which are made of wood, which is also cellulose, which is a plant-based fiber from trees, which is, again, derived from the sun. So it's like so foundational to all things life. You can't say life without sun, essentially. So right. that's really where people get something wrong is they think that there's like this demon in the sky. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If it weren't for that demon in the sky, you wouldn't be able to think about the concept of something being bad for you. Right. So 
we should really step back and say, maybe it's not the sun that's causing the biological organisms that evolved under the sun for 4 billion years without defects to have all these defects more recently. Suns, so I would just get into a little more detail here, uh, is that skin cancer rates have only skyrocketed in the last hundred or so years. And really only over the last 30 to 50 years have they really gone exponential. And this is the time in which we began wearing more SPF, avoiding the sun, and, and skin cancer rates have skyrocketed. It was virtually undocumented in the medical literature. And as much as people think, oh, they wouldn't have seen it. No, they would have seen it. Over the last 300 years, medical records are phenomenal. People right. have taken really great care. There's very great records of diseases and plagues and so forth. It just didn't exist. And these people lived all day out as peasant farmers on the fields and they didn't get skin cancer. So it's like, it's not the sun for sure at a base level. Anyway. Okay, here I have a couple follow-up questions. We can get through these quickly. And I do want to say you you were you were referencing ways for science to support what you're saying. I've been reading this book. It's called Embrace the Sun. It's a little heavy, it's a little scientific in nature, but everything you're talking about, this the rates of cancer related to sun exposure versus other, it's really interesting. And again, guys, listen. I'm not an MD, but I do believe in a philosophy of, of questioning things and continuing to look for ways to make our lives healthier and better. So if you have any curiosity, I do think this is a great book. And Matt, it does support a lot of what you're saying about. Um, I actually haven't read it, but I'd love to. I'll, I'll add it to the list. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. There's so many good ones. So many good ones about light and health and so on. One that's actually called Light and Health, if I may just drop that. Light but and anyway, Health. Okay, I'll put that in show notes. I can give you a bunch of great books. But anyway, continue on. I'm, yeah, so I'm... I'm as always, thinking of what critics might say as we're talking, someone might say, well, of course, but the ozone layer was not as depleted X number of years ago. So the exposure to the more dangerous types of lights wasn't as nefarious because there wasn't as much coming through. What do you say to that? Yeah, this is a really fair, fair point. Absolutely. Have there been lots of pollutants that humans have generated that have diminished the ozone layer? Yeah. According to the, the evidence available, is it restoring itself? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes. So the only extra thing that would really be coming in is ultraviolet C, UVC for the more or less. And yes, high excessive amounts of ultraviolet can be damaging. Small amounts, depending on your skin tone, are essential. When I say depending on your skin tone, it means what's right. a small dose for me could be a microscopic dose for someone from sub-Saharan Africa, mm -hmm. whereas a small dose for them could be a huge dose for me. And it just depends. It takes six times longer for someone with dark skin to make the same amount of vitamin D as someone with light skin, or said differently, it takes, it's basically that we, someone with lighter skin, let's say from a European heritage, which I'm assuming you are. Italian, uh, yes. There you go. So, but even Italians are sort of, let's say, like more inclined to sun given their position on the Mediterranean. We're not adapted, even though we can make vitamin D faster, we'll die of heat stroke, frankly, much faster in equatorial or tropical conditions if we don't have air conditioning or ways of cooling ourselves off than someone in with that darker skin with more melanin can 
protect themselves. So right. I want to dig into that too. And I want to know what your research has shown as far as people of certain heritage or, or heritages or geographies that are more equipped to handle more sun exposure. I know it is not PC to say these days that our skin color matters, but it's true when it comes to exposure to sunlight, it's the commonly held belief that like you said, exposure to direct sunlight for darker skin people, or even people like my people who are from Southern Italy might have had more of a tolerance for that. Um, so let's break through the un-PC of it all. And is there a connection based on your research between the levels of sunlight that we can and should expose ourselves to based on where our ancestors are from? And moreover, how do we figure out what that magic number is? Yeah, absolutely. So there's not exactly a way to figure out what the magic number is and I question whether there is even exactly a magic number, but I get the essence of the question here. So with different uh, people in different areas, different areas of earth, yeah, the darker your skin, there's a, a scale called the Fitzpatrick skin type, and there's you know, one through six, lighter on the uh, one side of the scale, darker on the other side of the scale. And basically, so is the connection all right? All right, great. Yeah, we're good. So basically the people who are let's say more equatorial or tropical their their ancestors evolved in this more equatorial or tropical place have evolved with these advantages that i was speaking about for those regions so it's it's all good uh having those advantages you know if you're have that darker skin whether it's south american uh central american or african or asian south southern asian indian this is advantageous when you're in those areas now it could become disadvantageous when you move to somewhere northerly like Europe or North America. You can see many people with very dark skin. If they move to really northerly places, they develop jaundice, yellowing of the eyes because there's not enough of the light for their body to function really properly. So people who have darker skin in northerly places like the United States and Europe also develop vitamin D deficiency more quickly because the whole population is vitamin D deficient and the whole population is barely getting any sun. The people who, you know, who have the darker skin than those few minutes that they're outdoors between their car and the office and work and, and the shop and so on, that tiny amount of sun that is more readily utilized by someone with lighter skin if they're not wearing SPF and sunglasses uh, is totally you know, significantly less if someone has a more protection. So mm -hmm. it's just things people need to keep in mind when they're exposing themselves to sun. If you have darker skin, you just need more to get the same effect. Um, and again, there's a really sensible biological reason for this, because if you evolve in somewhere equatorial or tropical, there's so much light that you need the protection. So it can be really advantageous when you're living in an outdoor world, but in the indoor world it can be disadvantageous. Now that's just what the, let's say anthropological or biological evidence of the matter has to say. So when people are looking for how much sun they need to be getting, mm -hmm. it just, again, it totally depends. Like it depends on, I mean, I've listed out like the 10 factors before, but it depends on where you're, it depends on you. So, with the individual, we could just run through a few, like for me, it would depend on my skin tone, both my genetic disposition and my present tan. For example, like I might have a genetic disposition to be really dark, but at the moment I might not be, or I might have a genetic disposition to be like 
not Superman at all. And, and no matter how much sun I get, I'm not going to get much more tan. That just depends on, on who you are. But so it's not just what your genes have. It's where your own tan is at that moment. Mm -hmm. Like for example, I could sit in the sun all day. I'm not going to probably turn, you know, uh, black or have an African skin color. It's just most likely not going to happen. Uh, so these are different considerations. Like the more someone has a tan, the more sun in a way that they need to, to get the effect, uh, of the sun. So that's one factor internally. Another factor personally would be things like, are you fasted or not? Like when I'm fasted, I feel like a sun magnet. I just, the sun feels amazing. Cause as I understand it, based on what I've studied, and there's probably more mechanisms that I'm not even fully aware of yet, but uh, the blood isn't focused on digesting food when you're in a fasted state. It's it's flowing around doing its job. And therefore, the blood, when we go in the sun, one of the first reactions is blood moves to the surface. Well, that's another interesting tidbit for, like you call them, the critics. If the sun's so bad for us, why does our blood flow to the skin? Hmm when we get in the sun, wouldn't it right. hide? Why is it trying to seek the sun like leaves of a plant? It doesn't, wouldn't exactly compute if the sun were so horrible for us. Right. Some led to believe. And so, um, of course, you know, heat dissipation is one big factor. And someone could say, oh, it's just to dissipate heat. But there mm -hmm. are pigments in the blood that absorb specific wavelengths of light. So we know that the blood is a light absorbing substance. It's designed really to absorb sunlight energy. Anyway, go ahead. So what happens then, scientifically speaking, when our skin is exposed to natural light? What's, what are the mechanisms that are kicking into place? The main simple mechanism uh, that anyone can really understand, even if they're not a scientist, is this synthesis or production of something called nitric oxide. I should say release mm -hmm. of nitric oxide. There's a lot of deeper physical things that are occurring because we're a very physical organism. So the sun literally causes increased flow of our blood because of the infrared light energy contained in the sun. It literally moves our liquids in our body faster. Mm -hmm. it, it expands the zone around our cell. It basically it increases the what's called exclusion zone. That's just the scientific term, but really the, the term is fourth phase or structured water. It in, enhances the structuring of the water in our cells. So water mm -hmm. in cells is, isn't like water in this bottle. It's highly, highly organized based on the research of a doctor named Dr. Gerald Pollack out of the University of Washington. He has a phenomenal book called The Fourth Phase of Water that describes, and several other books uh, on similar subjects that describe the basically function of or the qualities of water in living organisms as opposed to in a in a glass they call it bulk water when it's in a glass and this infrared light energy from the sun which actually is approximately 40 percent of all the light of the sun almost half is what causes water to become highly structured it's all a little bit too coincidental if you look at it like the very substance water that makes up what and who we are is specifically absorbing it. It specifically absorbs just like all atoms and molecules absorb specific wavelengths of light. Water specifically absorbs infrared, which happens to be one of the largest portions of light that is put out by the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it blows my mind. It, like I, I was raised atheist, you know, I don't necessarily, I've never really thought about myself interested in, um, so I've never thought of myself. Oh, no worries. No worries. 
It's my um, mom calling. Hold on, let me put on Do Not Disturb. Yeah, See, this no is what Italian people do. We pester each other all day it's long. It's all right. I love that. Okay, I'm also Italian. Maruca is from <laughs> South Italy. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, But I have the Irish, which is why I'm so light. Okay. Uh, so, basically, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. The, the light hits the water. It, water absorbs these specific wavelengths of infrared light. It causes the water around our cells to become more structured and organized, more efficiently conducting energy. I mean, it does a lot, like a lot, a lot. Do you need the sun to get that effect? Not necessarily, but where else would it have come from in nature besides the sun? Well, when we finally learned how to cultivate fire, that was another source of infrared light. Now, if you're a modern health enthusiast, you might have an infrared sauna, which can be good, although it's only really good if it's a near-infrared sauna, which almost no one has. But there's a company called Sauna Space. I interviewed the founder on my podcast, mm -hmm. um, the Light Diet Podcast. We had a great interview. And if I'll just say, because if someone decides they want to buy a sauna space, you can use the code the Light Diet. You can save some some money on that but oh nice okay right, that could be good for people but i really believe in that product pretty much more than any other product that exists besides my own products and it's it's an amazing thing this near infrared light sources they've developed they're these bulbs that screw into a, a sort of holder and mm -hmm. they have tents sort of things that are that are designed to make the environment really hot when you have these bulbs on you heat up the, the air heats up and it's a really amazing sauna experience but it's more like infrared light therapy than a regular sauna but anyway so infrared light is affecting our cells when the sun strikes us it's causing the liberation of nitric nitric oxide nitric oxide no chemical terms from our the walls of our blood vessels which cause the blood vessels to expand further and then more blood flows to the surface to be irradiated by light and our blood cells mm -hmm. red blood cells have pigment on them uh hemoglobin proteins which absorb light, ultraviolet light and infrared light and red light. And additionally, our mitochondria, which are these energy machines in our, in our cells, they call them the powerhouses of the cells when you learn about it in biology class. And these mitochondria are powered by infrared light from the sun. So this whole dance is happening. I mean, there's a million things happening. Infrared red light specifically increases the generation of what's called ATP in our cells, which is known as the power, the, the energy currency of our cells. So, so the light, the red light from the sun is increasing ATP. Green light is having physiologic effects. Yellow lights having physiologic effects. Blue light is setting our body's circadian rhythm. I mean, I have so much more to study, to be honest, in some of the different colors, the effects are massive. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much ultraviolet is having all sorts of benefits producing vitamin D like as much as you look for, you will find when it comes right. to the light of the sun. And the reason being that, and this is the simplest way to broad sweep it. Like I'm not here to try to convince someone of, you know, can you tell me every single mechanism? No, I, to be honest, I can't. What right. I can tell you is that every single atom in the universe, and this is how physics basically works, absorbs and re-emits different wavelengths, different types of light. That's how atoms interact is when they bond with another, they emit certain photons. I want to hop in on the um, improvement of mitochondrial health and the activation on that level. I, I remember you saying in this interview you did previously that um, that in particular keeps senescent or like dead cells from accumulating, which can lead to some other health complications down the line. 
I'm obviously not explaining like cancer. Okay. Yeah, cancer. Um, so I, can you speak a little bit to that and what your research has shown? Because I think when you talk to people about the benefits of the mental benefits, they're like, okay, yeah, great. Or, you know, um, improving your skin's ability to react naturally to the sun. They're like, oh yeah, great. But if you tell me I can avoid cancer by doing this, I'm like, okay, tell me more. I'm all in because again, not something that I had previously considered the impact of sunlight on that particular mechanism of the body. I'm so glad you asked, really. It's so amazing. The more you pull back the onion, the it, it's it, it's an onion that doesn't end. You can never get to the core. So, but I'll do my best. So let's see. Well, maybe I can answer that question and loop in what I was explaining before, and I'll answer mm -hmm. it through this, this explanation. So all atoms, and, and I'll know that that's where we want to circle back to. So all atoms and molecules in the universe, the way that atoms, the way that physics works, the way that everything that we see, the seeing is is the light that's bouncing off of stuff. Um, and that is what it's, you know, absorbing and re-emitting or just blocking in the first place. And the way that physics works, the way that all these things we see, you know, you could just look in front of you, look at me, look at, I'm looking at a nice view of a, a, a town in Germany where I'm currently at the moment, uh, find myself. And th just all of the stuff we see, everything basically in the universe is composed of chemical bonds of atoms and things together, right? And that happens that's mediated all by light, these processes. So certain atoms will react given a certain amount of energy in the environment. Certain atoms and molecules, they need a little more energy, which comes in the form of light photons that allow them to then react with things they wouldn't have reacted with in a different environment, hence how life exists only in the presence of sunlight energy being available. And so the point being that, you know, you study a certain compound, it will absorb, like we mentioned with water, it'll absorb infrared light. So the reason I'm sharing this is in a way, when we look at, at life, all of the different biological processes that are occurring in the body, trillions per second, all of the atoms and molecules that are involved in these processes absorb and re-emit certain wavelengths of light. In fact, that's exactly what's happening. They're, they're interacting in this very way. So everything that's occurring, not just in ourselves, but in the entire universe is actually mediated by light. It's, it is sort of the fundamental basis of everything. Even scientists have, have shown and studied that even if you take matter, material things like tables and wood and glasses and water, if you stripped it all apart and blew it up, essentially, and this is what the, the atom bomb, the nuclear bomb does, it actually, or nuclear you know, fission technology, like nuclear power plants, it's actually disintegrating, so to speak, matter, material stuff, and returning it to energy, to light. And the amount of energy that's generated from these reactions is enough to literally level an entire city, like was done in World War II. Not that that was a good use of this energy, I would, I would say the contrary, but it's a lot of energy in a very small amount of matter. So everything's based on light. Anyway, getting to the question about, about cancer and how, how this could affect not just cancer, but everything in our body. Well, since every single molecule and atom in our body is affected by certain wavelengths of light, what we can actually understand by studying evolution and the physics of organisms and the physics of how life works is that virtually 
every single biological process, as crazy as it may sound, is coordinated by certain wavelengths of light. So there's actually a wavelength of light, which is coordinating and directing virtually every single process in biology. We are really beings of color, beings of light. And those wavelengths of light, of course, are coming from the sun. And so it's like you have certain wavelengths, for example, just really high level examples, blue light affecting our body's tracking of time and our body's natural rhythm, red light affecting the function of our mitochondria and their energy production, infrared light affecting how water works and, and a lot more that we don't need to get into. But so when it comes to any disease, cancer included, but any disease, really what's happening in the case of any disease is that there's just some level of dysfunction in the body, right? And this isn't just because of lack of sunlight. I wouldn't claim that. I maybe would have years ago, but there's much more to it. It could be chemical toxins that are inhibiting things from working. But it's interesting when we get into chemical toxins, what is the means by which they are disrupting cell biology? Typically, typically from what I've studied and what's been studied, they're inhibiting the cell's ability to utilize light properly. That's how chemical toxins disrupt cells. So you go back layer by layer by layer to the lowest, the deepest level you can find, and it all see, seems to go back to light almost 100% of the time. So chemical toxins can be an issue. Harmful food. But again, when we talk about food, what is food? It's crystallized light energy, right? So when you're eating quality, fresh fruits and vegetables or quality food, whatever someone, I don't want to talk about food because people get so dogmatic about it. Like if I say fruits and vegetables and someone's a keto carnivore, then they're going to say, oh, well, no. So just whatever your ideal version of food is, whether you think it's steaks or fresh fruits and vegetables, whatever you think the best food is, we can put that one aside. Just think of your highest version of food, that being the highest form of stored light energy. Now, I have perspectives about what that is, but we can talk about that a different time. Uh, the, the quality of good or bad food really is dif the difference in the quality of the light stored in the food, and hence why refined processed food is lifeless and generally just not good versus something fresh and, and more li life-containing can be more beneficial. These are sort of basic principles. So these all we know have effects on our health, good food, bad food, uh, clean environment, toxic environment, toxins, activity, lack of activity, right? That's kind of separate, but it goes again to similar points. Like when you're moving your body, you're keeping things moving, you're moving your lymph, you're moving, you're increasing your ability to carry out cellular reactions, right? Just by virtue of using them. You're also going outside when you train typically. And I actually don't think that training in an indoor gym is really health promoting in general. It's not always horrible, but the real health promoting exercise is that which is done outdoors. But all these other lifestyle factors that people typically think about, you know, aside and how they might, they may also link up to light. The sun itself you know, if all these other things have effects via light, we, we would think maybe that the sun being the main source of light in our environment and the giver of life might also have an effect. So what I'm getting at and how it links back to these other diseases is that when we see dysfunction, we're considering all these other factors, but people are considering that the very thing that provided energy for life before we even consumed food, before food was even a concept in, in evolution, you know, consuming other organisms to take the work that they've essentially done and use it to create a more advanced and developed organism in a shorter period of time. That's kind of what food is. Right. It's like 
you know, one, one banana has absorbed light for the whole season and we can eat it in a second and then get all that, a lot of that energy, right? For example, or, or an animal has built proteins and we don't have to go and make all the proteins ourselves. We can consume the proteins that are more developed and they'll be more easily utilized by our body. For example, in the case of someone who wants to eat meat, uh, you know, or fish or whatever. So at the core though, light was still there first and our biology is still based on light. So when you take away the light, if you just took yourself out of the sun completely, like most people are now about 92% of life is indoors, 86 or so percent in doors and six or so percent in car, according to government, US government data, like you've basically disconnected yourself from your charger, like you've plugged, unplugged your computer, like my computer can only run for so long when it's not plugged into the charger, right. eventually, it's going to go, it's going to die. Now, humans are very adaptable creatures. It's a very beautiful thing. We have the capability to actually survive on our secondary fuel source, which is food for an entire life. But I say survive very intentionally because there's nothing to do with living and thriving. People can survive on food for an entire life, but they cannot thrive on food for an entire life. The only way you can thrive as a human organism is on light because that is what gives us life. And to thrive is to be full of life and light and life. They're so similar in their, in their sound that I'm, I haven't actually researched as I'm going to, their etymology must be identical. Um, but anyway, that is, that is how cancer and all these diseases can manifest because you take yourself out of the sun, the organism's going to collapse on every level and cancer is just one. But in fact, I would go as far as saying it and really the evidence supports this. In fact, there's, there's, meta-analyses, long-term studies on large populations, 500 plus Swedish women studied for decades that showed, and I, I linked this because there was a lot of haters, let's say after the Dr. Gonzalez interview, but not, not a lot actually to give credit to the goodness of humanity, very few by percentage. Um, but, and I have, I love people who are skeptical and want to know the science and want to study, but people who are just negative for negativity's sake, it's just a little depressing, but that's it. We can move beyond that, right? So anyway, the, the study actually showed that of all the factors they looked at, and they looked at like everything, you know, you, the main things you would look at for human health, different factors, their food, their relationships, you know, all the different things you would consider. And the single biggest factor that struck them in its significance was the groups that either avoided sunlight or there's groups that avoided sunlight and actively sought out sunlight exposure. And the groups that actively sought out the sun had basically less than a half of the risk of death from all causes, every disease compared to the groups that actively avoided the sun. And so it's like, right. whoa, including skin cancer, by the way. Right. Yeah. I, you, you know, to go back to this book I, and I think the common, um, sort of refrain or rebuttal a lot of people have when they hear this. And I've interviewed plenty of dermatologists and I, I don't want to ever like for people to listen and say, okay, Sunny, on one podcast, you know, you're interviewing this dermatologist and she's talking about how important SPF is for wrinkle prevention and for overall skin cancer prevention. And then on the other hand, but as with many things in life, and I feel like this is the space we really, we really occupy on, on, we got to talk. We, we find this middle ground where there are benefits to both of those practices, but with what you do in particular, I do think the conversation needs to happen a little more because we have really, really been um, conditioned lately to just discard this immediately as, um, you know, 
potentially dangerous or something you don't want to do. So that's why I'm really glad to sort of just bring this conversation to light. But I just wanted to clarify that because I do think people are probably like, okay, you know, you talk to all these, like I said, medical experts who are saying the sun is nothing but dangerous. So how are you going to, you know, say that you have to go sunbathe? I've been joking, Matt, that, you know, the movie, there's something about Mary. Remember Magda, the character? I don't know. You might be too young. I haven't seen the movie. No, I'm not familiar. You're so young. Anyway, she's this old woman. She lives in Florida and she's brown. She's like a paper bag. <laughs> she's a character in the movie that's forever living in the sun. So I call them my Magda moments. Now I go out and deliberately, you know, I spend time in the sun. I have noticed such an increase in energy, even mental clarity when I come back inside after those episodes. And so I've become, you know, much more interested in learning the reason why. So yeah, everything I mean, in you is working better. And that's basically why. And the second thing I would say is that I, you, you use maybe deliberately, maybe not the idea of bringing this conversation to light. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I love that. Love the play on words. Okay. Well, walk us through. And, and I know you only have a few minutes left and we're booked for an hour, but I wanted to walk I through. Could, actually, just, you know, I have, I have some more time. So whatever, you, as long as you want to speak, um, I can, I can answer more questions. So I'm Perfect. good. Okay. We're going to get about two or three yeah. more questions in. Yeah. Um, what can people do? And just very briefly tell us an example of a schedule where we can get some of the benefits of exposure to natural light without going overboard on the sunspots, the wrinkles, the potential sunburn. Like walk us through a normal day, going outside from the early morning light through midday and evening. Just give yeah, us- Yeah, absolutely. So at, at the simplest level, and I, I work with one of the top light researchers, photobiologists in the entire world, which is actually part of why I'm in Germany at the moment. But, um, and I learned directly from, let's say the best. So these are a lot of tips from people who who have studied this their entire life, which is much longer than than my- life so far, just their study time. Now, anyway, um, they, he in particular says, his name is Dr. Alexander Wunsch. People can search him up. He has great videos, lectures at universities and so forth. W-U-N-C-S-C-H, W-U-N-S-C-H, Wunsch. And he's, he said that in his opinion, the best time for people who are concerned about this is to go out in the middle of the day when the sun is the strongest. Why? because you can get the maximum amount of vitamin D production and of the other benefits of the sun in the shortest period of time, the shortest overall duration of exposure. Can excess constant sun exposure cause aging of the skin? Yes, for sure. If you're eating a healthy diet and you're living a healthy lifestyle, you're taking care of your stress, you're taking care of these things, can it do less of this? Absolutely. And that's also very important stuff to look at. And people are often inclined to look away from that stuff, but that all plays a really big role. There are many people I've spoken with and, and, and met who they, they talk and they say, oh my gosh, this makes sense to me. I've been in the sun my whole life surfing in Hawaii, wherever, Mexico, Costa Rica, California, Florida, and I feel so good. I'm so healthy. I never needed glasses. I never wore sunglasses. I never got cataracts. I never got a disease. And they're older people. They're healthy. You know, they're in 60s, 70s, 50s when people are getting heart attacks and stuff, normal indoor, you know, office desk worker people are having heart attacks left and right. The people who are out in the sun are not because their hearts work better because they're in the sun, mm-hmm. uh, for example. So, so th- this is, this is the recommendation is if you're really concerned, just go out in the middle of the day when the sun's the strongest. So between 11 and one, as the closer you get into winter, the tighter that window gets when the sun is the strongest, the, right. the further you get into summer, the sun could be considered 
quote unquote strong. Like for example, the, the, the strongest in the middle of the winter in somewhere like, uh, let's say New York, the strongest sun in the middle of the winter is hardly as strong as 9am sun in the summer in New York city, because the sun's angle changes so much. And the angle is what affects how much ultraviolet light is present in mm-hmm. the sun. So mm-hmm. what, and, and the overall intensity and so forth, but the proportion of ultraviolet that people consider to be damaging and so forth, which also has benefits. So that being said, what I would recommend at the basic level for it sounds like maybe a, a, a skeptical audience or person who just wants to feel something and see if it's the real deal, they want to dip their toe in. So go out in the morning, I'd say 10 to 15 minutes as early as possible, ideally sunrise. If you have a clean horizon in Florida, I'd get out to the sunrise and sunset if you're in Florida, because then you have both. Typically, if you're on either side of Florida, you could go to the bay on the other side of the island or wherever you are and see the sunrise and then see Mm -hmm. the sunset and vice versa. Um, But anywhere in the country, even if you're in the forest where I grew up in the suburbs of Philly, very hard to find the sunrise. I would look forever and I couldn't find a clear horizon. And so you just get it when it's a little bit higher or you just go out when it's coming up and look at the sky, right? Try to get the light when the rays come through the trees or over the building next door or whatever. So 10 to 15 minutes really is sufficient to set the body's clock. Even less, five minutes could be enough. But I try to go with 10 to 15 minutes. What I do when I have, especially when I have an easy opportunity like this door, that I, I have this beautiful balcony and this door looking out on this town and the sun happens to rise kind of right over to the right side to the east. And so I just open the door when I'm up in my room early in the morning and just let the light flood in because mm-hmm. for hours, you know, I'm not directly in it necessarily. Anyway, so that's a morning thing. Midday, um, I would recommend people go out for totally varies based on your skin tone, but 10 to 15 minutes on each side of their body. Again, if you're super pale, I wouldn't do 10 to 15 minutes on each side of your body. I would do like two to three minutes, especially if it's the summer on each side of your body, if that, if you're really pale. Uh, If you're really dark skinned and you have, you know, this melanin, that's a beautiful thing that allows you to absorb more light and convert it into useful energy in your cells, essentially. So it's a very beneficial thing to have this, this adaptation. You, you can, you'd probably want to stay out longer. You'd want to have your minimum be five to 10 minutes more like. So we have the 10 to 15 minutes of direct sunlight at sunrise and sunset. And then the midday was remind us. It would be, I mean, I would say like 10 to 15 minutes on each side of your body. But again, that's such a broad thing. Like for someone who's really pale, start with one to two minutes uh, on each side of their body. And if someone who has darker skin just at a, at a base level might need five or six minutes to start based on the number of, you know, from the lightest white skin to the darkest dark skin, you have six times difference in vitamin D production. So whatever I say for someone who's really pale, which might be 30 seconds to one minute on each side, even less right. potentially, you d- multiply that by six for someone okay. who's the darkest skin and kind of put yourself in the middle, depending on your, your skin type. So right. those are some ideas that someone could follow if they wanted to expose themselves. Uh, I wouldn't wear sunglasses pretty much ever, except maybe in the most reflective surfaces, like on a boat, on water, or in the mountains. I personally don't because I like getting the extra light, but some people might just not be able. I used to cry in the sun because I was so, like my eyes, because I was so sensitive. But just going out more and getting the morning light, it's not an issue anymore. I can be in Costa Rica in the the hottest sun and have very minimal issue. You know what's interesting too? We were at the beach this weekend. I have three kids, nine, seven, almost eight, and five. And these kids are out in direct Florida sunshine, no sunglasses, and they're just rocking it. I mean, like it doesn't it doesn't impact them at all. And they're yeah. 
out there and they know when their skin that's exposed is like feeling too warm and they come in the shade. It's just really beautiful to watch the natural reaction. Like you said, paying attention to our body's natural mechanisms and how innately children can do that. So yeah, that's like, I, I, I'm so grateful you brought that because that is the core message. Like your body actually has a system systems for that. Like over, you get hot, you get in the shade, right? But we've so disconnected from that, that it's so easy for like the weekend warriors to go out and get super drunk on the beach. You, you start drinking, right. forget it. Your system's off. So you're drinking right. in the beach. I do not recommend drinking in the sun. I treat sunbathing as sacred. So like you sunbathe, you sunbathe, you don't text, you don't drive, you don't do anything else. You're sunbathing. That's it. You're doing anything else, your body, your energies elsewhere. You can't absorb the light properly. So drinking, all bets are off. You're wearing sunglasses, all bets are off. Because why? Because when the light comes through the eye, it produces the hormone in the brain called alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, which as it says in the name, melanocytes are the cells in the skin that make melanin. And this is the hormone produced in the brain via the stimulus of light on the eye that signals all the skin in the body. We're like chameleons. They change their skin tone based on the light that's hitting their eye, not their right. skin. So if you put yes. a chameleon on, if you put a chameleon on a, a fully black surface, but only let its eyes see white, it'll turn white, not black, even though black's behind it. But oh, that's where it's getting its signals from. Is exactly. that, that's like us. Cover your eyes with sunglasses and all of a sudden your brain thinks you're in a dark room and you're, you're not making the protection in your skin. So you're disposing yourself to skin cancer and aging and all the problems. It's like the body's really intelligent. It's right. really intelligent. Okay, this will be my final question because I, I do have to go after this. But yeah, you know, we're vain people here on We Gotta Talk. I'm I'm approaching 41. Mama wants to keep a smooth face. Can we keep wearing SPF on the face only, the neck, the decollete, and still get the benefits? Or do we need to go SPF free on all parts of the body in order to most maximize our benefits? Yeah, well, such a really great question again. And I'll try to answer, the, answer this as simply and directly as possible. So there's nothing wrong with being an aesthet, I would say. A friend of mine introduced this word to me, actually a Russian friend. Aesthet is someone who's interested in beauty and, and aesthetic things. And I think that's something very admirable to see beauty in nature. And I've been going to beautiful museums in, in Holland recently and Van Gogh. And these people saw amazing beauty. And I think there's something really, really valuable about that. I consider myself the same and, and I don't want to be wrinkled. And I, I noticed that years of excess sun exposure, I affected my skin and I'm working on repairing it, let's say with more of the red and infrared side of the spectrum and less of the ultraviolet, but I'll still go out in the middle of the day. That being said, so I think it's a great thing to be, you know, looking for beauty vain. I don't like the word personally, but anyway, I wouldn't personally use SPF anywhere because let me take that back. There's a caveat, but in general, chemical sunscreens never. Why? Because chemical sunscreens are made of, of chemicals, which as we've discussed chemicals and light and how they interact and so forth. When you put any chemical, almost in ultraviolet light, it starts to degrade and descend and, and come apart. And so chemicals often become really harmful for the body when they're irradiated by ultraviolet light, like even a stable chemical be, the, why harmful? We can make it really simple because ultraviolet light's high energy. It breaks chemical bonds apart. And then chemicals, those are loose chemicals. They're looking to fill their chemical bonds and they go into the body and wreak havoc by stealing electrons 
from different places to satisfy their bonds. That's essentially what happens when you put a chem, any kind of chemical really under high intensity ultraviolet light. And so you do this with sunscreens. Even the best chemical sunscreens are still really not good compared to melanin at absorbing and dissipating this high energy ultraviolet light. Melanin is the best. So the best sunscreen is to slowly build up your exposure to the sun everywhere and you'll your body will make melanin and then just dose your exposure accordingly like there is a reason why back in you know even though this was again vanity the the, the wealthy people wanted to get less sun because then they would look like if if they got more sun they'd look like the poor peasants who are working on the farm all day and having that excess exposure isn't great but then the wealthy people were the ones who got all the diseases and sick sure. yeah so there's yeah. a balance that has to be struck in the middle so I would say I wouldn't wear SPF except I surf. And when I surf, I'm getting huge amounts of sun that I might not want to get. So I'll cover my face in zinc oxide, a sunscreen mm -hmm. called Honda. But zinc oxide, the reason it doesn't, it doesn't look good, it isn't aesthetic at all. I can agree with that because it doesn't absorb into your blood. So right. when you wear chemical sunscreens, those chemicals are being damaged and then absorbing into your bloodstream, which is super toxic. When you wear zinc oxide, it doesn't absorb but that means you're going to have a layer of thick cake zinc on your face. And so that's why I only use it really when I surf or if I'm out all day and I'll put a bit on my nose, but I'll wear big hats. You nailed it in the beginning with the rash guards, like wear a rash guard, wear a hat, you protect yourself with physical means, go in the shade when you've gotten enough. I think that's right. the best way to go. Well, Matt, I, I am so grateful for you spending some time with me today. I have to scoot. I know that your social media is very active. You mentioned your podcast, which is called The Light Diet. Can you tell us where we can connect with you if people are interested in checking out raw optics or anything else that you're doing? Absolutely. So if people want the other side of the equation, protecting from the bad light, which there's actually a lot less controversy about, thankfully, let's say, uh, they can go to rawoptics.com. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's we're, we're transitioning to raw and we're going to be a light. It's a light therapy company. We make blue light protection eyewear at the moment, but we're working on really advanced light therapy devices, which can help those aesthetes among us. Again, I won't use the term vain uh, who want to look good and we can use the red light and the different colors that we're going to be uh, allowing people to utilize for all sorts of different benefits in their biology. Um, that's rawoptics.com again. And then for me, you can follow me on Instagram at the light diet on mm -hmm. Twitter, the light diet again. And for Instagram raw underscore optics, you can find raw optics. So that's about it. Subscribe to our email list and our SMS list on our website. When there's a pop-up, just put in both. You'll get discounts. No one else gets. You'll get a lot of educational material that I put out on a regular basis that no one else gets. So check that out too. If it interests awesome. you guys. And it's R A optics right. are a like the sun god of egypt the most powerful of all gods by the way they knew a lot about nature they built the pyramids supposedly and they also knew that the sun was at the top of the pyramid as far as natural forces which the gods represented influencing our lives i love i love all of the detail and nuance you bring to this matt and i, I you know i know you're in kind of a crossfire space with the with the information that you're putting out there and the work that you're doing so i'm i'm grateful that you spent some time and really kind of dug into the details and um some of the more specific parts of this of this debate and discussion so thanks again for spending time thank you you asked great questions thank, thank you so you. much Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. 
those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at wegotatalk.com slash blog. See you next time. Thank you.